This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Jim. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Evan. And we're going to talk about The Mysterious Affair at Styles, a detective novel by British writer Agatha Christie. I've never heard of her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) First published in 1920. um, It was actually serialized. It doesn't mention that in in the Wikipedia entry here. um, In a newspaper, I think, The Times, um, with apparently wonderful illustrations, all uh, AWOL at this point. And uh, then... It was, I think, in the UK in 1921 uh, in book form. So it's it's coming out right after World War II's uh, wrapping up, and, or World War One. World War One. Yeah, and it was written during World War One, um, while this unknown writer Agatha Christie, um, although she wasn't even named Agatha Christie at the time of the writing, was. Oh no, yes, yeah, she was, just barely. Um, was uh, working in a field hospital, no, not field hospital, a volunteer hospital as the, I think she was, one of the characters in this book was working in the dispensary. Mm-hmm. Cynthia. Yeah, that, that I found very interesting. And, you know, really I was interesting. kind of reviewing some other writers at the when I was getting bored with styles, you know, and like Hammett was worked for Pinkerton, exactly. And I wonder how many other of these Dick worked writers, in a repair shop, you know, right? <laughs> no, knew it, right? Yep. And H.P. Lovecraft never left his house, <laughs> <laughs> except for going on walks where he would find horrible monsters in the in the bush. Uh, this is apparently. I, I guess I kind of knew this at one point. She's the most. She's the best-selling novelist of all time. Wow. Like, that is pretty big, right? Uh, Shakespeare, I think, has more editions out, but, you know, he's a playwright. She did have one play, and it's still it's going. It's been around a lot longer, too. <laughs> yeah, but this is a, it's a pretty impressive. And, um, this is a pretty impressive book as well, I found. Mm-hmm. I'd never read it before. I, I've read other Hercule Poirot, mostly short stories, um, and I've seen the show. But uh, who here has read this before? Nope. Uh, I nope. have. I read it um, only fairly recently, though. I think read oh. bits and bobs of Poirot, and I thought it'd be interesting to go back to the start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't realize this was the first one till I was walking with my friend yesterday, and, and she said that was and I and it's so polished. I was I was surprised. Very polished, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really see a a uh, a flaw in it in terms of what it's trying to do. It does perfectly. It doesn't feel like a so you know like nobody says um uh the what's the first Sherlock Holmes novel, uh, Study in Scarlet. Nobody says that's the definitive book, right? Um, they they say oh you know start with the a scandal in Bohemia and then you know the other three novels are the more popular novels of the Sherlock Holmes novels. This is this is pretty much straight out of the gate a, a solid solid book. Mm-hmm. 
which is pretty impressive. And uh, her life apparently was uh, made a horror out of how successful she was. <laughs> Did you guys see my tweet yesterday about um, no. about uh, style? Cat. Uh, a cat. What was it, a dog? You know, the dog or something, right? Uh, oh yes, Some she, animal her, was yeah, involved. she had a dog. Oh yeah, so this is the. I was just reading her Wikipedia entry and I was making note of interesting things and it was one of the. So her first dog was named George Washington when she was a Uh child. Um, Her father was American. Um, When she was successful and was touring uh, the world, uh, she went to Hawaii and became a surfer, (laughs) which is hard to imagine Agatha Christie as a surfer. Um, her first novel is The Mysterious Affair at Styles, but get this. This this I found is really interesting. Uh, she gets married and uh, buys a house with the money from all the books she's writing. Um, she names it Styles. Mm-hmm. And then uh, her husband begins cheating on her, and then she mysteriously disappears from Styles. So you get cheating, you get affair. The mysterious affair at Styles is like, wow. And then get this, her final novel while she's alive is called Curtain, and mm-hmm. it's uh, a return to the house uh, where it was set. This first novel is set with Hercule Poirot coming in again to to solve the thing, and then he dies at the end of the book. It's it's like she's she's so neatly wrapped up her life. <laughs> bounded up with her own fiction and ah, it's a pretty impressive life story really mm-hmm. yeah so you you're revisiting mr jim moon uh yes uh, so i did the audiobook this time um it was a couple of years ago i just finally thought i should really start re- reading more agatha christie and i was like right, i'll go back to the start of poirot um, I mean, what struck me the first time is it's kind of this is so the template for so many of her other books. Mm-hmm. However, there's a there's a few interesting features of it being the first of like we do actually get a court case. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was doing my homework for this year, I found apparently in the first draft it was all actually resolved in court, and it was only like a the later draft she actually added kind of. Um, the bit after the court case where he does what now is the great sort of Agatha Christie cliche of where he calls everyone together into mm-hmm. the library and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and reveals who really did it. But I thought it was interesting that you have this court case and um, that, that Poirot isn't actually sort of centre stage of that you're seeing everything through uh, the eyes of Captain Hastings, which in later books, um, Hastings and the, uh, various other narrators are... Uh, don't have so big a part of the story. Uh, they are just there to you know be like a Watson, just you know recount what Poirot has done. But I think it is very, it's a very interesting sort of snapshot of the of the times. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, there's so much that is just genuinely just sort of you know a real slice of life back from you know from back then. But uh, the other thing that struck me, and it's, it's something that actually is held true in all the other Christies I've reread, is that she, she's not like a cheat with um, her no. mysteries. Um, she, you know, the clues are all there if you can keep up, keep up with Poirot and follow them. 
it isn't kind of like a lot of murder mysteries where it's kind of and at the end it was, it was actually his brother who he's kept in a basket all of year, these years and who you've never been mentioned previously and it's like really yeah Oscar Wilde <laughs> but you know so that that is very satisfying that you know you know you can um you know, you can try and solve the case. It is kind of almost interactive. Mm. And that's interesting game, that, you know, really, it was, yeah. yeah, well, it was apparently, this was written uh, as a wager to, yeah. to write, a, 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 you know, the ideal detective story, one that doesn't, you know, cheat the reader by uh, having the detective find clues that, oh, you know, no things that is never mentioned. Um, it was interesting going through, through you know on online and seeing the original reviews where people really picked up on that and really you know that's what really made her reputation mm-hmm. it, it isn't it isn't uh her dad's privilege that got her the job and she became famous because of that it's because what she's created here is something people really liked something really people needed almost and it um, i i was first introduced to um christy through my grandfather who was really big into uh, one of my grandfathers was really big into mysteries, you know, re- read and subscribed to Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine and Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, and he had uh, Agatha Christie books. And it is, it's a sort of an intellectual game you play uh, with yourself um, and the the author. And although Sherlock Holmes does the same thing, and I, I guess Poe has, you know, four stories that are supposed to be doing the same thing. She's really perfecting the the novelized form of a game that can only be played between a reader and an author. And and it is a particular like that is what she's selling, right? Every book is there is a some sort of mystery. It's like a Sudoku puzzle almost, right? It's something you do for fun. Nobody walks out of it saying, you know, I've learned so much, <laughs> maybe about poisons, <laughs> but you, you don't walk out, uh, you know, being far more philosophical unless it's about murder. <laughs> um, but it, it, it is, it, and the word um, for it is cozy, right? So these murders are not, uh, although they might be motivated by, you know, sort of uncozy things, they're all designed to be cozy they're designed to be you know an, a fun intellectual g- game you play in the evening with yourself uh mm-hmm. and then you read another one and there's another book and she writes another book and a, you get another one and it's it's a uh, you know mr jimoon you you do a show um uh where you play the uh, choose your own adventure games uh in oh, books right? yes indeed it's mm. very it's very similar except those are not mysteries those are adventure right Whereas this is a mystery, and you are participating in the solving by paying attention to the details. And when it was published, you did actually get effectively props. Yes. You get the map of the house. You get the, you know, it was published with a, a reproduction of the fragment of the will. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can look at the layout of the house, see where, work out where people were, and, you know, literally you can play along at home. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is tremendously cool. It um, is. It's just really a very ahead of its time kind of idea. And uh, I mean, I know in the wake of this, I think there was a, I can't remember who did it. It was a US publisher. All its mysteries came with maps. Adele map paperback backs, editions. Right? That's it, yes. yes yeah. now, the, uh, there actually is an Avon map back. Uh, I, I tweeted this out. I didn't 
directed to you guys, I don't think. But, um, oh yeah, I did. Avon Map Back of the Mysterious Affair at Styles by Agatha Christie. And uh, Brian pointed out that the cover is um, is very American. Americans step into a cozy, right? You've got sort of a Marilyn Monroe lady looking um, with a guy in a suit and tie, and then they discover the the, the woman dead. And the, but on the back, you get a picture of the layout of the house at Styles and where everybody's uh, room was, and you can find out well. She says she heard the scream at five o'clock in the morning, but her room is farther across than the lady who was right next door, right? So who's lying? It's it's yeah. a it's a very <laughs> cool game. This is the first time I've ever read a novel. Any of these Agatha Christie novels, I ever read them. I've read some of the hard boiled stuff in the Americans. Very stuff. different though, right? So it's a really different experience for me. Um, I actually felt this was so detached. I know it was set during World War One, but. You know, it could have been any time. Really. I, I guess you have the exactly Belgian right. emigres. It's, it's exactly it's, against You have the, the medicine thing. And that, I don't know, like, it, I, I can't help but kind of contrast it to the things I'm more used to. But, like, these American hard-boiled novels, it's always you got the corrupt police department or the, you know, the institutional setting is there. And, you know, it's like, who's the bad guy? It's like, everyone is kind of dirty. <laughs> novels, right? Yes. Here, there's like, I think even Chandler critiqued this stuff at one point in like in his essay, right? Where he says like, there's a body just so there's a body, right? Mm-hmm. I guess there has to be a motive, but that's kind of beside the point. Why no, the this point woman is was the game. Killed. The point is not. Yeah. yeah. And but the thing I want to say is, and I was thinking about this when I was reading this, is people talk about fantasy being escapist, but, I mean, this is much more escapist. Way more escapist than, than, yeah. a, lot than a lot of fantasy literature. Yeah. This is really so detached from the world. I, I mean, I, except for little pointers. You could say, yeah, it's it's set. It has a setting in World War One, but you don't feel you're in the World War One environment. Well, that's what I was thinking, but, is, is, is that while I was reading, I was thinking, they're all wondering who killed uh, this nice lady, right? Meanwhile, nobody's asking the question, who started this goddamn war that's killing everybody? <laughs> why are we over there? Like, in fact, it is so. That's why I was I was trying to convince Brian to join us because it's such a World War One book because mm. it's so not talking about the thing that's so most important, but it can't but help talk about those things. So, what our uh, our dead lady? What does she do all day? She organizes uh, basically pro-war rallies um, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, helps the the patriotic Belgian refugees who are, you know, so, so hard done by the rape of Belgium. So bad. Right. Um, so these Belgians are, you know, uplifted and everybody can feel good. About, like this is interesting. She didn't. Uh, in World War II, when she went back to uh, nursing, she she was offered apparently uh, to write propaganda, and she turned that down. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe because of how bad World War One is, who knows? But she just went back, straight back to the same job she was doing during during World War One, instead of writing, uh, I guess, pro-war stuff. I understand why you you kind of need that, but. This is this is escapist, right? So the, there there is even a a line in this book about how um, oh I think I tweeted it too. It was how uh, uh, the the people at the house, these upper class I don't want to say twits, but unemployed <laughs> upper upper crust guys, all um, 
one of them doesn't like the the Inspector Jap because he's not the right class. I much prefer, although it's strange to say, says the character, I much prefer the Belgies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's um, that's like a big surprise. Oh yeah, these brave Belgies ain't your ordinary run of foreigners. That's a, quote, a direct <laughs> quote from the book. And uh, that's a. I mean, she she was working with the Belgian refugees, right? But um, it it is a World War One book in that everything is influenced. But it, that's the thing that they're trying not to talk about, right? And so this whole book is sort of a reaction against is hiding your head in the sand and doing an intellectual and exercise. No one is asking, how do we get into this thing and why are all these people getting ground up? So in that sense, I think it is a very interesting World War One book, but it is the opposite of paying attention to uh, sort of like those hard-boiled noir books. And um, I, I was reading about James M. Cain. You guys read any James M. Cain? He wrote uh, Double no, Indemnity no. and uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. yes. Yeah. So James M. Cain is, is sort of the American um, where everybody's – in fact – in uh, both Double Indemnity and The Postman Always Rings Twice, the murderers are the main characters, and they're planning the murder, right? And then it's, mm-hmm. will, will they get away with it or not? It's not a mystery. It's a sort of a suspense. Um, so you're sympathetic with the murderers, although you maybe don't want to be. Um, the, the, the tone is quite different. He actually did fight in World War I, James M. Cain, uh, as a propagandist on the front lines, um, writing for the American... Uh, you know, military newspaper or whatever. Um, and then when he comes back, he starts writing these really, really hard-boiled stories about basically horrible murderers. Um, and and that tradition is, I mean, he's he, he only wrote two major, major books, and then the rest of his stuff is good, but it's not as as hard hardcore hitting um, as Christie's just sort of escapist. Uh, game playing fantasy really it is a fantasy of uh how's uh, uh, captain hastings says if you could do anything after the war what would you yeah. do ah, i'd like to be a detective <laughs> uh what kind a policeman oh no not much more like sherlock holmes explicitly calling it out right mm-hmm. <laughs> amazing and that's all of us becoming uh a sherlock holmes detective or an agatha christie detective I ruined the show. <laughs> I thought we had a dropout for a moment. <laughs> a click and then it went silent. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm ever going to become addicted to this kind of writing. It's fun, for sure. And I really I, I like the short story versions as well because they're even easier to keep track of the characters. There's a lot of characters in here and they do a pretty good job of keeping... I mean, it's very clear writing, so you get that. But um, it, it it seems it I can see the appeal, but it, it it's it's not substantially um, I don't know. It's not like science fiction to me, or even you know really good uh, historical uh, philosophical fantasies. I don't know. What did you think about it, Misa? No, I, um, 
Well, a friend, my friend who I was walking with and told me this was the first one, once handed me like 15 of them. She was clearing out her, <laughs> yeah. uh, her, and, uh, and, and, and I read them like popcorn, like that's how they were, but I didn't finish them and go, okay, I'm going to go get 15 more. Mm. So, and then when I went back to this one, it was the same thing. Wow. I really, this is so relaxing mm. and so untaxing and, and fun. And I loved it. Um, but, I, but it's not like what, what I would go to, to like, you know, turn on my brain more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I prefer Chandler just cause he, he's, he's sort of philosophical as he's, uh, uh, basically investigating the breakdowns of people's lives and marriages and murders and and, and he's so much more okay. wordplay trippy fun yeah she her style is is super clear and then we sort of spend time enjoying our characters right our uh, hastings is i i like how hastings is uh, he just he's sort of a flake right he he uh he's he's planning on um Becoming a, a Sherlock Holmes style detective, I guess that's possible um, <laughs> in this world. And he's also um, he, he also offers to marry the first lady who uh, who starts crying in front of him. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nice, but um, uh, you know that those sorts of things they can get you into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That wow. is an odd scene, really. It is a funny <laughs> scene. It kind of was. And notice at the <laughs> end, someone might take you up on it when they're yeah when they're con- when they're commiserating about the uh, you know his failed uh, romance there when he gets kissed. Um, he says, "Well, we'll have more adventures." That's the promise I think that made uh, Agatha Christie uh, very wealthy. The um, if the book had ended in a in a very different way and didn't offer that olive branch of, uh, or maybe the olive branch is not the right word, but the, the, the pointer saying that there could be more of these adventures, then uh, it might not have been, it might've just been a one-off, but uh, it, it, she's almost setting it up to be a character. And apparently just like, um, just like Conan Doyle, she eventually got sick of writing his stuff. And she started writing uh, Miss Marple, and uh, okay. she also wrote under a pseudonym a bunch, uh, six other books that are apparently very, very different in, and they're not really mysteries, they're just uh, family sort of drama. Huh. So, uh, you know, with her success came all sorts of um, problems, but uh, she, she also, is, it's very interesting how it is an outsider's view of something very inside. So when she goes to, um, in later books, she goes to uh, like the Nile and there's one, a murder in Mesopotamia. That's, is that set in Baghdad, I think? Um, and uh, there's another one set, oh yeah, Murder on the Orient Express, right? Those are yes, all, yeah. all based on her own experiences. Like, it, it, I stayed in the hotel where she wrote um, oh. the one about the Nile. Wow. The Winter Garden Hotel. Yes. And, and they have a big sign. This is where Agatha Christie wrote. No doubt. Uh, yeah. And uh, so she is basing, I mean, obviously all the murders are not real, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but she's basing it on her own experience. Uh, even like the 
marriage breakups and stuff that sort of, uh, or people losing money. Like um, her her father died when she was pretty young, and that seems to motivate a lot of of murders. Is you know, it's it's, it's murder for revenge, murder for love, or murder for money, and that's sort of the main one. I think that that's um. That's all three in this one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Although mostly it's money, right? Or it's mostly money, but but um, yeah, but that but uh, Mrs. Howard, Evelyn Howard, didn't particularly like. She was she was playing housemaid kind of with this in her head, you know. Oh yeah, uh, if you think Who about it, their plan was she she gets hired. She's basically a con artist, right, Howard. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets hired, um, and then she she says, "Hey, we can take this guy." They're actually kind of uh, American hard-boiled uh, evil characters, like from Double Indemnity or or uh, yeah. The Postman Always Rings Twice. There, there. In fact, The Postman's Always Rings Twice plot is almost identical in terms of motivation, except the, the estate there is a diner. <laughs> a <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 diner in California, right? Or they're planning on killing the 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 greasy Greek who owns the uh, the diner, and then <laughs> you know make off with his his fortune, which is owning a diner. <laughs> um, the uh, Howard uh, and um, uh, Inglethorpe relationship has to be, I think, you know, it's not really explicitly stated, but they got to plan this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you're going to marry her. She's an old lady. We're going to get her money, um, and cheat everybody in this family out of the, uh, wealthy estate called styles, right? They're all going to mm-hmm. get screwed and we'll, we'll even make it so that, uh, there's no question as to the will being, uh, questioned in court because, uh, the family killed her themselves. Right. And, uh, I think the the intricacy of that um, of that plotting is actually really clever. I mean, uh, the the double jeopardy rule that they're they're thinking of super mm-hmm. smart, right? I I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing in in Britain. I thought that was like I learned about that like in civics class in the <laughs> USA. I didn't know that was a British thing. I learned about it in the movies. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I, uh, that, I think there's probably a couple movies called Double Jeopardy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's this cleverness. Yeah. I did, so this, or how it's all cozy, right? And how everything is plotted and like a puzzle, right? Uh-huh. So I was rereading Chandler and his Simple Art of Murder after reading Styles, and. I don't know. I have to. I, I think. I think Chandler's right here. Th- this is what he says about this type of book. So he says he he being the d- poor writer, and he actually seems to throw Christie in with her. <laughs> this group. Uh, he thinks a complicated murder scheme which baffles the lazy reader who won't be bothered itemizing the details will also baffle the police whose business is the details. The boys with their feet on the desk know that the easiest murder case in the world to break is the one where someone tries to get very cute with. Mm. The one that really bothers them is the murder pulled off pulled off with only two or three minutes before he pulled or thought of only two or three minutes before he pulled it off. Or we could add like the drug murder on the corner. Right. Mm-hmm. But if the writer of this fiction wrote about that kind of murder that happens, he would also have to write about the authentic flavor of life as it's lived. Mm. And since they can't do that, they pretend 
that what they do is what should be done, which is begging the question, and the best of them know it. Yeah, he's he's definitely. I mean, most yeah. murders are not murders planned out like this, as far as I can tell. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a really long game murder as well. It's sort of de- being deeply embedded to use a journalistic sort of, you know, how long has you know, she been posing as the companion, you yeah. know, to gain the trust? And I mean, it's like, you know, it's impressively patient. It's It reminds me, uh, I was thinking about, she, she wrote this while she was in Dartmoor on vacation. Her mom said, uh, apparently her mom's a really nice lady, although a bit crazy. Her mom said, you need to go uh, away and write this thing or it's not going to get done. She goes away to Dartmoor to write it. Dartmoor is where uh, a very, very famous novel is set. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of similar. Um, that's one we've done on the podcast. It's The Hound of the Baskervilles. Oh, yeah. Now, that plot is not all that dis- dissimilar. I mean, we have fewer characters, right? But there's a secret love affair between people who are um, married, but uh, they're hiding that fact. Um, there's a um, uh, Captain Hastings character who is uh, the Watson, right? And there's mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes who uh, uh, is there, but not there also. Um, so he's he's running around doing other things. It's uh, the the plot is not identical, but the isolated house where you've got a murder happening and a convoluted plot to basically disinherit somebody um, who is rightly inheriting um, that those things are in common. And then it's solved in a, in a roundabout fashion with uh, a bunch of red herrings. Uh, It's a very interesting the way um, this one has, um, and there's the servant element as well, but it's very interesting the way it's almost efficient the way she she set this up so that all the actions that seem to be happening are legitimated somehow, and the only one that's sort of outside the um, like the red herrings are sort of interesting because they're, they're they're not just there to confuse you, they're also there as part of the plot usually, mm. except. There's the uh, guy who's the spy, right? Yeah. And in the same way, in um, Hound of the Baskervilles, there's this escaped lunatic, right? A murderer, and the servants are acting strangely because, oh, she's a cousin or brother. It's a brother, right? So when you get thrown off the scent, as it were, um, it's it's usually pretty legitimate and it's, it feels like a fun game, but it, these are like, impo- these are not the way murders actually take place. Right. I mean, if we look at the, what was that in the news, the Khashoggi, uh, uh, mm-hmm. murder, right. <laughs> that was, um, I guess fairly convoluted, but it also turns out that it was, they easily figured it out. Right. We're going to, we're going to say, Oh yeah, it's no problem. You can go into, uh, into the embassy to get your marriage application done, and then you'll never come out. <laughs> send, send an airplane full of guys to... Uh, and he, it, it, Maybe they've been reading too many Agatha Christie's, because think, think, they even had like a, a, um, a body double, so that when he, <laughs> he, he can wear the guy's clothes on the way out, but he, they didn't do a very good job with it, and they had like a fake mustache, but 
one guy was bald and the other guy wasn't. <laughs> and um, the only thing that really hasn't happened is, uh, you know, it being written up as a novel. But it it it, it is a sort of this convoluted plot rather than you know just send a drone strike to kill the guy. They they come up with this this plan to lure him into a, the embassy and then you send a hit team to cut up his body and then uh, then dispose of it. that's a lot more grubby and a lot less cozy and yet it's the same kind of motivation uh sort of elaborate plan to get what you want hmm. get this guy to shut up <laughs> again i wrecked the podcast sorry <laughs> no. I'm trying to think of other real life murders that are kind of this elaborate. Um, there was a, the crimes of uh, George Haig in the 50s, uh, for where he had the idea that, well, if there's no body, they can't do me. Mm. And he persuaded to, you know, inveigle himself with various uh, rich old people, uh, get the. You know their estates transferred over to him, and then he'd bump them off and dissolve the bodies in acid. Mm. <laughs> uh, he's probably the most Christie-like <laughs> uh, real-life murderer I can think of offhand. And I uh, say so he was just great, absolutely cold-blooded. Uh, but there's no kind of element of seems of sadism or or sort of brutality you normally get with serial murders. It was purely, it was it was the next step up from various financial frauds and swindles and forgeries and long con games he'd been running. And this was the, ne- the next, you know, the next rung on the ladder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it becomes a lot more grubby when it's not just an intellectual <laughs> exercise, right? <laughs> when, it's, when bodies are dissolving, yeah, and, that's a lot more. And poison, poison is also like the... Um, is her trademark, right? Uh, the poison is used by other um, detective writers, and I, I, I've read a few, and I always find them very confusing. Um, of Rex Stout's novels, um, Nero Wolf books. You guys know this guy? No. Oh yes, I've, I've seen some TV version. I think mm-hmm. Nero Wolf. Mm. It's, it's very stylish, and he's he's doing. Uh, he's basically the um, American response to both Christie and and Holmes. Um, mm-hmm. Nero Wolf is this detective. He doesn't leave the house. He has his his Watson figure, who's a, a fast talking uh, you know go getter, um, and a bunch. He also hires a bunch of private detectives to. Do you know? Go out and find the facts, and then bring the witnesses to him. Uh, and then he says um, uh, the sort of the classic line that Christie really invents in this book, which is, "I suppose I want. Uh, I suppose you're wondering why I've gathered you all here, right?" And then he goes yeah. through the uh, the room, saying, "You know, this is what you were doing at the time of the murder. You're really in love with your brother, and you're trying to hide that track from from your cousin who uh, holds the reins to the estate. And you, sir, you." Uh, are concealing your theft of blah 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 blah, and then goes through the entire list. You, you, Madame, are entirely innocent, uh, but I need you here to confirm this fact for me. She does so, and then the real murder is revealed, right? And then the the police, just like Inspector Jap, um, the police are standing in the room waiting for you know the saying, "Yeah, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for those evil kids <laughs> or whatever it is," <laughs> and then to arrest and uh, walk away that consulting detective the i mean it is kind of strange that the uh 
the retired police uh, detective from Belgium is brought in to solve this murder. Right? It's kind of weird. Why don't they just call the regular police? <laughs> hey, well, no matter where he goes, people die, right? <laughs> well, I do have a theory that you know, actually the most prolific English serial killer was actually Miss Marple. Right, right. <laughs> or or uh, what's, uh, what's the um, American murder she wrote? What's that show? Ag- what is uh, Angela yeah. Lansbury. Uh, yeah, Angela Lansbury's character. She's a she's basically supposed to be Agatha Christie, right? American. And no matter where she goes, she visits her cousin. Her cousin gets involved in a murder. She goes on vacation into Florida. Somebody's involved in a murder. She's going on a cruise. Murder. <laughs> Just there to solve it all and then write it all up. Did you look at the title, um, "Mysterious Affair at Styles"? I was I was thinking about it, mm-hmm. and then I started thinking about all the mysterious affairs going on mm. over there, and the list was very very long. I had uh, Evelyn Howard and and, Al- and Alfred, and then Mary and Doctor Ber- Berenstein, and John and Mrs. Rakes, John and Mary, although they're because they're they're not even acknowledging each other. John and Cynthia in Lawrence's eyes, Lawrence and Cynthia, Hastings and Mary and Cynthia, Alfred and Mrs. Rakes, and the only one with not in love with someone in this book was Poirot. Uh, and Dorcas, don't forget the the maid. Dorcas, Dorcas, right? Yeah. Dorcas, yeah. That, that's a very unusual name. The only other time I've ever encountered it was in Stranger in a Strange Land. There's a there's a sort of a, <laughs> a, a woman secretary who's named Dorcas. I don't know if uh, he picked that up from from this. Heinlein did, but it. I mean, it must be a real English name, right, Mr. Jim Moon? It is. It's from the Bible, I think, uh, if I remember rightly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it. It seems to be a name that's gone out of fashion, but oh, very uh, out of fashion. I've, I've seen it. I first came across it in a, an SF novel by Jonathan Fast. Oh, um, I thought that's a, I thought it was a strange SFE name, but uh, uh, yeah, I believe it goes back to the Bible originally. Hmm. Yeah, there are a, a number of mysterious affairs going on, um, and it's not called the mysterious murder at Styles either, right? Which it could mm-hmm. have been. Um, and in fact, it's not all that mysterious at first, right? So the fact that, you know, it could have been, it, if, if, if the uh, clever folks hadn't done all this clever double jeopardying thing, would it be possible for them to just get, have gotten away with it? Seems like they sort of tripped over themselves so much that they set it up so much with all the. Uh, obviously, don't write notes to your, to your GM, <laughs> uh, and leave it in your desk in the same room as your <laughs> wife. Right. <laughs> That's kind of a mistake number one. Though if it wasn't for Poirot, they would have got away with it though, because the, <laughs> the police are like you know like nowhere near. <laughs> getting mm-hmm. towards the truth the police just take the surface reading and it'll go with that quite happily mm-hmm. um and it's kind of you know there's a bit at the end where inspector chap says oh thank you so much mr Pro- Pro- Pro. you've stopped us looking absolute jackasses 
Yeah. And, and he has a uh, antecedent in the Sherlock Holmes stuff as well, right? Very much so. He's very uh, similar to Inspector Lestrade. Mm-hmm. I think I think the uh, original Poe had a police uh, who were similarly, you know, leaning on this intellectual heavyweight to do some of the heavy lifting. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, Hastings is he? He's not an idiot, right? He's just a little bit naive. Yeah. His heart is too much on his face. Uh, that's what Poirot says, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he, um, like, he, at one point, he says, he, he, he says, I had a vague suspicion of everyone and everything filled my mind. Just for a moment, I had a premonition of approaching evil. He's the catalyst. He's like the game is underfoot kind of mm. guy. Mm. And it's funny how self-aware um, I, I I know that in the original um, uh, Sherlock Holmes novel uh, they explicitly call out uh, August C. Augusta Pan, um, but after uh-huh. that I don't think it's ever mentioned. Like you never get uh, yes I'm a, a sort of a literary detective like like uh, Poe invented, right? I'm it's very straight up but other books by Christie um are the, she has one where I think it's a, is it the husband and wife team um what are they called uh it might be an NRM there's a husband and wife team where they they open a, a detective agency and then they they try and solve mysteries in the style of other uh fictional detectives which is very self-aware you know like it's like reading a science fiction novel and then they the character starts in talking about uh arthur c clark and uh, isaac asimov novels and and you say oh that's interesting this is this is a thing in this world right so she she she's she actually i think she might even have um oh tommy and tuppence you know those are the uh, married couple. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys read any of that? Mm-mm. Okay, so the Tom, no. the Tommy and mm-hmm. Tuppence books are. Um, it's this sort of. Reti- it, it, I imagine it's it's Agatha Christie and her second husband, who was an archaeologist, by the way. Um, basically, uh, they they've got tons of money from uh, being successful, and they just decide to open up a uh, detective agency because why not? <laughs> It's something to do, and it's fun. <laughs> we don't need to make do, money. Is it with a different detective in every book? No, like it's they're following it, the style of a different detective they, in every. Yeah, book? so they'll they'll take on like uh, the style of Hercule Poirot, or they'll mm-hmm. take on the style of Sherlock Holmes, or C. Um, Auguste Dupin. Um, I, I may be remembering this wrong. It's been a long time since I read it, but oh yeah, Partners in Crime. I think there was a television show as well. Um, and the first book is called The Secret mm. Adversary, which is 1922. So very, um, uh, very shortly thereafter. Let's see. Hmm. I have to. I, it's been a long. It's been like maybe 30 years since I read this. But uh, that's what I. That's what I remember, and I. I just thought it was interesting that she could even have uh, her own detectives being sort of. 
made um made I don't know referenced in her as fictional detectives in other books by her. That's really cool. They moved <laughs> on weird, to like right? their own. <laughs> yeah. But she has she's very she has, ahead of her time on the meta stuff. Oh, very much so. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, 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 I thought that that was rather striking. Um, she has like more than sixty novels, right? So that's not that's nothing to sniff at. How many does Dick? That's have? how you become the best-selling author of all Dick? the or yeah. mystery author of Dick's, all. Dick, he's got forty maybe novels. Is that right? Forty novels with the posthumous stuff. It's like forty. Yeah. Um, mind you, she lived quite a long time as well. She, uh, 1890, 1976. So she was, she's in her 90s. Is that no 80s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick didn't get to live that long, but they both seem to have this drive to write. That you know, most people who I see on Twitter, <laughs> they say they sort of force themselves to write, or they get NaNoWriMo to write. You know, these people, they're, they're sort of they're out of control. They got to write it down. Maybe more like Stephen King. He's, he's got to be at more than 60 now. And he's 50 or 60. Yeah. He's going to be closing in on her legacy for sure. It's my guess. Well, he came out with two this year and they're not sure. Right. (laughs) Well, one was one's long, one short. I haven't read them yet. Outsider and elevation. Elevation was, it's like a novella, but it, of course, you you publish it as a standalone book. To you don't publish those in magazines anymore. I saw your um, bookshelf, Mister Jim, and you have a ton of uh, Stephen King, right? Yeah, well, yes, we've been doing one book a year for quite a while. It was the new staple Christmas present for my family was get him the new Stephen King book, <laughs> and big, thick which is fine by me. If, uh, but it's kind of. Um, I've had to switch to Kindle just to just conserve space mm. in recent mm. years. <laughs> yeah, I came I came back to King pretty recently, three four years ago. I decided I'm gonna. I read them like back in the late '80s when I was a kid, you know. When it was kind of like that was when I don't know what was out then, like Pet Cemetery was coming out and mm-hmm, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just just read it because it was like mm-hmm. kind of weird and there was sex in them and stuff. So you know, I was a kid. <laughs> And then, like, when he started doing different stuff in the 90s, I got bored with him. But I came back, and, you know, now I kind of like all the stuff. But I, I, I did read through everything, again, pretty uh, systematically. I read um, – I'm not a big King reader, but I read uh, The Running Man uh, not that long mm-hmm. ago. And I found it to be astoundingly good. Just to, I, I, I read a, a, some of his other stuff, those Bachman books, the um, – yeah, those Bachman ones are fun. Uh, the long, even the long walk, the which long you read, walk, wrote in yeah. like college, is, mm. is pretty interesting. I mean, it's a, a straight up metaphor for life, but yeah, it's, and, and it's really well done. And it's a it's a also kind of like dystopian state where you don't really understand why it's like that. But on the other hand, we have all sorts of stuff like that that you don't understand why it's like that, right? Like looking mm-hmm. at it from the alien perspective, you say, why did they do that? <laughs> Or even like you look back at the 1930s and w- look at the newsreel f- footage and everybody's wearing hats. Right? 
Now, if you find somebody wearing a hat, you say, oh, okay. <laughs> what are you doing, <laughs> you hipster? <laughs> I think there's a, there's a good story in um, The Onion did a while back. It's in their book, Our Dumb Century. It's circa 1950. This is shock headline. Man ventures outside, hatless. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or or even yeah so sunglasses sort of replaced hats in a certain sense right and then uh and now we're we're into so hats uh, hats are coming back but um it, it's interesting because i like to read these really old books because what they are sort of like this is the fossil of a whole fleshed out society that existed then um and it, it's a very different kind of book than uh, other books that are um, out then. I was thinking like the John Buchan books that uh, precede the war. And you think about, oh, well, this is all, you know, politics and intrigue. Here there's no politics at all. The the politics are, are you know, the fact that Poirot is Belgian is an incident of the fact that when she first wrote the book, Belgian refugees were a big deal. And for the rest of the... 20th century when she's writing about uh you know hercule poirot we don't like i i when i'm watching the tv show in i don't know the 80s whenever it was on i never thought um i I was like why is this guy belgian like it just never occurred to me it's just you know that's how they do it right (laughs) have some mysterious detective um and then i i note that other authors sort of do the same thing they they you know get a french detective or a uh, or you know, just some sort of strangeness that well, a detective has to have a quirk. Yes, a quirk. And it kind of it probably reached its zenith, I think, on in seventies TV. He's McLeod. He's he's quick. He's a cowboy. Right, right. He's Frank Cannon. His quirk is he's in a wheelchair. He's a bit fat. Oh yeah. No, that's Ironside. <laughs> I know Ironside. Yes. He's in a wheelchair. And Telly Savalas is uh, he's bald and he's he has bald. a popsicle. <laughs> not a popsicle. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. But I think Holmes started it that you had this idea that your master detective was somehow eccentric. Yes. And um, and I think it, sort of, it follows on from there of that old, you know, these, I mean, Poirot has his own kind of little quirks of the, you know, he likes a cup of, you know, hot chocolate to, to get the old little gray cells working. Right. Um, and it's kind of, but it's also, I think, it's more than just a quirk in Christie's hands. It's the fact that he's an outsider. Mm which gives the insight into the cases and going back to the politics, I think in many ways, uh, Agatha Christie, she's sort of tapping into the same thing. Jane Austen does. Mm. They're both not really writing about the big issues of the day, but they're very closely observing people in society mm-hmm. and what they do mm-hmm. and the different classes and how they interact. And it's a very, a very sort of, you know, close up focus. And I think kind of, she has like some shared DNA in the popularity of that people like that mm. kind of going to these little worlds and meeting these characters and particularly it's often, you know, upper class people. And it's, you know, you get to know what, you know, goes on behind closed doors and mm-hmm. you get to see the dirty laundry come out really mm-hmm. in many ways, particularly yeah. in Christie. Um, and I think there is that kind of, it's very easy to, I think, read them as being sort of quaint and cozy and you've, you know, and they've got that sheen of the past, but um, it's very easy to forget that at the time these were new and contemporary. They they weren't being quaint and 
you know, reassuring. Whereas probably Christie's later books where the timelines get a bit fuzzy. Um, yeah, they are I, I couldn't find I couldn't find out when curtains like how many years after curtains was set just by by searching you know like it, <laughs> it, 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 Captain Hastings is still a captain pretty much until the uh, he last you know his last appearance um, but uh, is he is does he die in the fifties does he die in the sixties does he die in the seventies when what, they all seem to take place in between World War One and World War Two, pretty much, right? It's it's all very static, right? I mean, even with you mentioned Austin, and I feel the same way when I try to read Austin. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that try because I never really can get through it. Yeah, it does sh- maybe show something weird going on behind these closed doors, but it's a very static world, and it's I don't know. I get this. this maybe it's about the way of class, the way class works in in England. Where it is more rigid than in the new world. Well, I think it's certainly well, more kind of change over time. Like mm-hmm. when, again, when you go into these hard-boiled novels, it's it's just such a more liquid environment. And by setting things in this countryside, you get to ignore all of what's going on in society. You get to ignore the war, but also ignore class conflict and unions and. Uh, you know, yeah, it's all about inheritance. The Communist it's Party about, and all that. It's things not about. It's, it's who nobody yeah, works. Everybody's inheriting, right? So yeah. they're always you on vacation. Family, you have the same story, right? They're, well, there's just there's a relationship books, and and by the way, I have to say, love Jane Austen over here. All right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, but uh, Misa, the the thing is, is I, I was thinking about what Jim Moon was saying. The the relationship in the relationship the reader has to the Jane Austen books, I've read one, uh, which is mm-hmm. her gothic uh, sort of novel, which is not really all that gothic, but the character likes reading gothic, so it's kind of gothic, and it's 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 fun and it's well read, you know, it's it's well written. Um, the investigation, and I've watched Pride and Prejudice, and you know all the other ones. Um, yeah. So the investigation there is into people's character. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether this man is a cad or not, uh, whether Mr. Darcy is uh, actually a, a jerk or if he's just uh, got so much pride that um, he can't lower himself to say uh, the true feelings that he has. Right. Whereas yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that that investigation into whether this man is suitable for marriage um, is is what those books are about. Whereas this one is the sort of seeing the results of. Of of family dynamics where somebody says you shall inherit one third of my estate and you sir will get nothing right and and note that one of the characters in this book is a an orphan who gets adopted right mm-hmm. and she is taken care of and that that's kind of a nice sort of thing but it's just and we get those seven Belgians who are being taken care of right well. What about everybody else, right? <laughs> what about everybody else? For the uh, in one of the, uh, I think it was the audio drama, not the um, the movie or the TV movie adaptation. Um, they go to one of the um, the fets that uh, Lady Ingersoll or whatever her name is um, is holding, and they play a piece, a bit of her patriotic poem. Yes, that was funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> and and it's uh, it's basically um, what you just want to save your skin. Go fight in the war and get killed. <laughs> Except it's not get killed. It's you know do what's do what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, during the Jane Austen books, what's happening, right? It's actually the Napoleonic Wars, right? No mention of that. <laughs> no. Right? There's just sailors who come back from the sea and officers who are who are uh, fun to dance with because they have fancy uniforms. But they are both uh, both authors are very detached, and that detachment I think is what makes them so popular. It's an escape, right? It isn't, but but also, but if you were to look at Jane Austen, she's at home, like her. This is her perspective. This is what she has. Mm-hmm. Like she's not out there fighting wars. She's not. I mean, Agatha Christie was working in a dispensary, poisoning people, presumably because that's what she <laughs> thousands. She's disappointed. <laughs> thousands. She's poisoning them with her words, but um, but but Jane Austen, that's that was. What she had. Yeah, I don't think I don't I don't think Austin ever left the UK. Did she? I, I think she, yeah, I don't think she did. Uh, well, Christy, she, she when she was a child, she was in in uh, Egypt, right? And then sort of went crazy with her her with her money and toured the world and tour, you know went everywhere and and wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that you can see how much of her own experience informs her writing, but it's all sort of detached again from you know the people. She's staying in the at the Ritz, right? She's not staying at <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, in some flop house. When when Jack London goes to London, <laughs> well, down and out in in, in uh, oh yeah. Well, oh, how's what's the name of well, that? I think book? he tells the, the the like the guy like send me to the worst part of town or something. Right. Like you don't want to go there. No. <laughs> like, so no, no, that's where you're taking me. Yeah. What was the name of that book? It wasn't the people of the abyss. The people of the, the abyss, right? Um, just oh, yeah. the, the the those people who don't live off the um, investments of their their grandfather, right? Those people who actually have to work in in the workhouse and. Uh, work in the factories and try and pay their bills. Uh, this is a total, total escape for that. And it's, it, it, it also, I think, is interesting that the best-selling novelist of all time is a woman. Um, mm-hmm. My understanding is that women tend to read books more than men. And she's, I, mean, I, I was saying my grandfather was a fan of, of, you know, this and sort of the whole industry that she spawned is she's sort of the J.R.R. Tolkien of the mystery, like the, those two magazines, Alfred Hitchcock's mystery magazine. And in fact, Hitchcock did her move uh, adaptations of her stuff. Right. Um, uh, yeah. That, I think you're right about that. There's this book called the feminization of American culture. It's a cultural history. And, you know, cause women did read these novels, the male writers, then they, they kind of, tapped into the market mm-hmm. essentially and i don't really quite remember the full argument of that book but even mary wollstonecraft when she wrote her book on feminism the vindication of the rights of women part of her criticism of like marriage was that women married looking for the characters in the novels they read <laughs> so she sort of says women need to stop reading so many novels <laughs> and they need to marry their friends 
So, which is what she does, right? Mary Wollstonecraft doesn't marry the the hottest guy and the most charming person. She marries this weird anarchist, <laughs> William Godwin, <laughs> right? But she, that, you know, that was her advice in, in the book to women is to to marry a friend and not not look for the archetypes in these novels. So. I think you're right about women reading one. I think that goes way back, though. Yeah. And I, I, Maybe over poetry, right? Spencer or whatever. Yeah. Well, po- uh, poetry, I mean, there's this whole theory that that uh, poetry is our, you know, like um, peacock feathers. Mm-hmm. That uh, uh, the ability to compose uh, meter and rhyme and consonants and assonance mm-hmm. and all that stuff. That's why I tell the boy students I'm trying to tutor. I say, dude, this will get you chicks. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, so suddenly it becomes a little less interesting or a little more interesting. And um, But also, like, just the ability to put words together in, in nice ways. It's it's actually a, a skill, right? My Whenever somebody dies in my extended family, um, only certain people can write the eulogy. And it's they always turn to the same people, right, to write them because it, everybody else is, you know, they're not a writer, they don't know how to put things together, and they want to say something good, but they don't know how to say it. It, it, it is an actual valuable skill, and and yet it is not our world, right? It's sort of an in, it's the amazing thing about reading a good novel is you feel like you're immersed in another world, but actually it's just a bunch of scribbles on a page, right? And even if somebody narrates it to you, that the 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 amazing thing about humans is that we're actually not as visual as we think we are. We're more actually about words, and we live in the world of words. So the fact you know Lovecraft can conjure spells just with his sentences, and Dick can spin up whole whole uh, realities or false realities with just a you know. 300 sheets of paper. That's pretty amazing. Well, for most of our, most of our history, we were oral. Yeah. Right? yeah. We were oral mm-hmm. cultures. You know, there's how many languages, 6,000 languages, how many literary traditions are there? You know, significantly less. So most of us in most of our history have just listened to words. And then, that's how, and then the books become, so, they're, yeah, they're the, spell, the spells that work, right? The, so it's yeah. really the way I think of my bookshelf is it's a book, you know, it's a, it's a book of spell books or a case of spell books <laughs> because the, the ones that are really um, resonant, you keep, right? Those, those are the powerful ones. They, they entrance you in the right way. And obviously Christie's tapped into a certain kind of magic that, you know, is the most popular. I know they said they, they said it was novelist. Maybe, maybe there's somebody who's, uh, but novels are the primary medium, right? Uh, short stories are, you know, they were big. They seem to have faded now. No, novellas, plays, all those things, are they're out there. Um, music, I guess, probably has a more... Um, songs with lyrics, right? Probably have more bestsellers than, uh, than novels. They seem to be more accessible, right? Kids... kids don't have to uh, be convinced to read read uh, music. They just do it. <laughs> Somebody just killed Misa. No. <laughs> no. Well, you were going to say something and you cut yourself off? 
No, I was uh, no, no. I'm I was just just breathing in your words. Okay, just <laughs> taking them in. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, they made some sense. I'm kind of worried about they that. Did. Well, we're, we're pretty quiet. Is that because this is a, a podcast that mostly deals with uh, idea-based SF rather than um, sort of cozy-based uh, mystery mystery solving? I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of disarmed because normally I'm talking about the social context of things and all that. Mm. I politicize all these works, these Philip Dick works or whatever. Yeah, I don't. I I, do I, I couldn't find her. Uh, offensive at all like i i know that she's talking to a like this is set in an upper crust thing but it's so detached from like the the worst thing i could say is that the the lady who is murdered is she's um encouraging people to join the war but everybody was doing that at the time right that's about the worst thing the worst sin she commits and all the uh, layabout children, they're so unreal as to be like I don't, I don't feel like <laughs> I need to. It needs mentioning, right? It is. It's so detached from it. Like I think you can read these and just do it as pure escapism in a way that science fiction is is less actually pure escapism, unless we're talking, you know, space opera, in which case at least you're getting some. I don't know. Maybe you get some names of stars or something, planets. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the the whole thing is detached. But but even within within the detached writing, there there all the relationships are are very very detached in this book too. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like she does not inspire love or 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 respect. She's just people do what she says because she's giving them money. She's not. And a, a person that anybody wants to love mm-hmm. at all. Um, so th- there's a wall all the way through it, and 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 our first per- the first person that everybody suspects is the killer. And so like we're just it's just like it's, it's a big circle coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it's just it's like we're skating along the perimeter mm-hmm. of this thing all the way through. So it, yeah, you. You are. It is detaching. The other thing that I think uh, sort of doesn't come up is one of the things you can do is you can look for the things that aren't there and that you should would normally expect to be there. And you could say this about a lot of other kinds of fiction too. But I don't remember ever reading an Agatha Christie story in which children were actually a character. You've got a household mm-hmm. full of people here, and they're all adult children, right? There's nobody here. There, there is a later one. Is there another Poirot? Called, yeah, called Halloween Party. Yes, I've heard of that. And it's actually it's a young girl who's actually killed. Oh, and there is there is actually okay. children in that. So okay, so <laughs> that is one of her later ones, featuring an older Poirot who's increasingly uncomfortable with a modern world. Did you uh, come across that book in your Halloween researches? <laughs> I, I did, yes, because it is kind of a snapshot of. Um, uh, a British Halloween in the mid 20th century. Apparently, that uh, doesn't exist, kind of, <laughs> according to some. Well, yeah, some people. Well, this is one of these modern myths. Is kind of that you know, the, particularly in England, we have that Halloween is some kind of an American import, and it's kind of. Um, I don't think that's entirely true. Yeah. <laughs> we have the bones of the evidence that say that that's not true. 
<laughs> so yeah, it's interesting because Christy, you know, she had a wonderful childhood. She says, she says that uh, you know, her mom didn't want her to read until she was aged eight, but she learned to read on her own. Um, and and just you know, traveling the world until her her father died. Um, she just had an ideal child childhood, and then when her father died, apparently, uh, like Lovecraft, uh, the money went away, right? And suddenly things start declining, and well, we can make do, we do our best. And then she got to the right age and started looking for a husband, and she found this attractive uh, World War One pilot who is maybe a little bit too attractive, um, like uh, <laughs> you were saying, Evan. <laughs> uh, with Mary Wollstonecraft, a little too attractive. And then uh, people up even recommended, I think maybe it was her mom, said don't marry him um, because he's too pretty. <laughs> 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 and then uh, he, uh, she has a kid, and then he cheats on her, and, and very openly. Um, and then she has that famous disappearance, right? Uh, the famous mysterious affair at Styles is what happened to Agatha Christie. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. But it it sounds like she abandoned her kid as well. Like, and we there is no apparently explanation as to what it is. But it's it's got to be like the darkest incident in a person's life, and it was in all the newspapers. And you know when she she was found alive staying at a hotel um, for like ten days. She was at a hotel. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, was she going off to kill herself? Well, we don't know what's what's going on in there, but uh, people have these crises. But when when you're a famous novelist, like a super famous novelist, those crises are very public and apparently turned her off of uh, the media like 100%. She hated uh, all the newspapers and stuff like that. And even and later, there's an interview with her like in, I don't know, uh, in her 70s and she she was so guarded in the interview basically it was a useless interview because they asked her a question and she would say well i don't know <laughs> and then the, the next one would be do you think your uh, play uh, the mouse trap is going to keep running for another 10 years and she says i have no idea <laughs> and, uh, the, the, it's like one of the worst interviews you know you're like just <laughs> she answers all the questions with uh, that's not my area of expertise. <laughs> Just giving them nothing, right? Um, I, I, I remember in, if we look at the worst incident in Philip K. Dick's life is he wanted to get a gun and go visit his ex-wife. Right? Something like that. And then he has this famous crisis of um, where he, he flees, he flees his problems in Southern California and goes to Vancouver and checks into a a heroin rehab clinic, even though he doesn't have an addiction to heroin and just stays in Vancouver and, and sort of inveigles himself into a couple's life. Who's kind of nice to him. Um, and then tries to ruin their marriage. It's like, Oh God, (laughs) this is like the lowest point of people's lives. That is just totally exposed by them being a famous writer. And I don't know how that plays into this, but it's just interesting to to think this is a very 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 famous writer, um, and she's so detached from everything that isn't in her very small circle that everybody likes that. That's weird. 
It's interesting. It's fascinating. It is. And uh, it, I don't know. I don't know that I need to read a biography of her, but she she seemed to have a a pretty good life, except for that you know her husband cheating on her and being exposed. Other than that, she had like a very very fulfilling uh, writing career. She had family. She got to travel. Right, respected. That's that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Life well led. <laughs> Could work from murder she wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if we're done, but I run out of stuff to say. think we probably are well, I've got something I could talk with my wife about because she always reads and mostly watches these pro I think I think shows. they're almost better as as TV shows because they're faster the audio drama is only two hours or just a little over two hours the TV show is like an hour and 40 minutes or something like that um, I think mostly I like she should the, the Japanese drama. stuff now and I don't know where they are in terms of Japanese mysteries, um, mysteries? Japanese mystery, yeah. Yeah, they have an interesting uh, how they got to it. But you were going to say something, Misa. Oh, no, I said I like the audio drama better than the TV show. Interesting. Mm. What What did you like about it? Being um, I, 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 I thought that they, I, I like the way that they put the thing together so clearly. Oh, and, yeah, it's very uh, well put together. Really, really well put together. And. It's really very interesting to uh, I, to watch, like to listen to. Like I, I, I really just I found it highly engaging. The TV show, I, I, I fell asleep a bunch of times. Like I had to keep waking up and starting it again, or finding my spot on it. The the nice thing is with the the TV show, seeing the the mustache, right? Seeing the um. That the made me crazy. That mustache is making me crazy. Yeah. Just looking at it, I was. <laughs> It was bugging me so much. Indeed. Um, I was th- this is very, very unrelated. Um, but I just think it's interesting. <laughs> There's a. I was thinking about how interesting it is that there's just these whole mediums come in and then things go out of fashion. You know, uh, uh, you, I, you this week. I, I don't know how you managed to do it or why you did it, but you put up a uh, your audio drama clip on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and so it's really strange because you've got an audio drama that seems to have been filmed poolside with really good sound. I don't know how you got the sound so good when they don't. I didn't see any microphones. Um, I'm magic, Jesse. Apparently. <laughs> so there's this poolside uh, info dump, basically, um, that's very co- comedic, entertaining. Um, and you don't need the visuals at all. But they they recorded it or you recorded it at the poolside. and. Uh, so audio drama was a big thing when there was radios, right? Now in the UK they still are, I guess Jim knows even better. They still do audio dramas with big finish being like sort of audio drama that's not even on the radio, right? It's, it might go on the radio later, but people just this market, this medium is still alive and vigorous, whereas on the rest of North America, North America, the rest of the world, it's very weak. I mean, we've got a few podcasts. There's, you know, maybe some popular podcasts that are audio dramas, but it's just it's just not the main focus like it was when radio was big. 
And then Sadly. we've got novels, which are a long, lumbering sort of uh, media that have been around for, f- what, what, Evan, like three, four hundred years, right? And well, television. Murasaki of- Shikubu is the tale of Genji is the first novel, according to some I, cultural I, historians. I, that goes back... <laughs> 1200, 1300 Yeah, but they're not, I mean, yeah, I think the modern modern novel was more like um, hundred years. Isn't it, isn't it Robinson Crusoe? Wasn't that considered? Well, or Cervantes, right? Um, People argue that that is, but uh, obviously the Romans had novels too. And, but, but the sort of the, the modern novel that's, you know, it's still going. I think it's, it's showing some signs of wear. In especially the lengths that some of them are getting to be, and the tr- obviously the trilogy is ascendant in the, or quadrilogy or quintuplecy or whatever it is are are fairly ascendant or were ascendant. Um, but things come in, new technologies come in, and they change things. Maybe we're going to have a VR media industry and storytelling thing. Um, but one of the things I noticed, uh, I was thinking about this week, was um, there there's this new streamer. Um, Media, uh, Mr. Jim Moon, have you streamed any of your Minecraft stuff on YouTube or anything? <laughs> oh, Twitch. Twitch, uh, you Twitch? Did you Twitch? Kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly what know, I'm thinking. I, I'm, 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 Twitch is one of those things. Kind of, that's what the kids are doing, and I'm bewildered. Thing? Yeah, so Twitch <laughs> is owned by Amazon, but it's it's like YouTube mm. except for streaming. So you've got your home uh-huh. setup, you've got a camera. It's like podcasting except in real time and with chats on the side, mm. and it seems to be mostly for kids. But there are these people, these these Twitch streamers, who are becoming celebrities, I guess is the right way to put it. Content creators is probably how they're marketed, right? How to explain how they're getting money. Um, but uh, some of them are just, you know, they're just a guy who's really good at playing computer games. And you like to see him, it's like watching a good basketball player shoot. And other people do that too, but then they have this like, they have a costume, right? Like, uh, there's this, um, uh, my niece was, um, uh, really into somebody named Dead Mouse. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And it was like some <laughs> DJ who basically puts on a giant ha- helmet that looks like a mouse and he just does DJing. Now, apparently, he's a streamer and I don't think he wears that giant head helmet that makes him look like a mouse or whatever. He just he's just transitioned into becoming a streamer. And there's this one guy, his name is Dr. Disrespect, and he started off as just like a computer game programmer, uh computer game player in the, you know, 20 years ago uh, or 30 years ago, and he's so he's, you know, middle-aged now, but he has this whole costume that he puts on where he's got a wig, black wig, and he's got these headphones on and then he's got it like a I don't know, like a bulletproof vest that's very colorful. And, and he also has this mustache. And he used to, when he used to do it, he used to have the mustache that was, you know, pasted on. And it looked fake. And now he just stopped doing that. And he just grew a mustache. But he still wears the wig. And, and it's like this whole weird thing where you never leave your house, but you make hundreds of thousands of dollars for playing computer games and people and just sort of performing talking that's and like how could we have possibly imagined this industry but it makes me realize that in 50 or 60 years whatever medium they're going to be using then people are going to be doing documentaries about these people 
in the same way that they're doing documentaries about Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes or or uh, Arthur Conan Doyle or H.G. Wells, they're going to be talking about these people in the same way that we talk about Agatha Christie. Ah, that's really I, strange. Oh, I hope not. No, it's going to happen, Misa. Yeah. And it'll be totally normal in the same way that us talking about Agatha Christie is pretty normal. And mm. that's hard to understand or imagine, but uh, it's fulfilling. That's the thing is that Twitch stuff is fulfilling a need. And I, and I thought it was only for children, like that only children were doing like wa- watching it. But it's not true. They're adults, too. Uh, maybe they're infantilized adults, but I don't think they all are. Uh, and yet I'm, I think, a little bit too old to totally get it. Well, I know that my daughter live streams. It's not Twitch, but she live streams. Right. And, uh, and and I was on the phone with her yesterday for like 20 minutes. She said, oh, I'm live streaming. I should get back to it. <laughs> and then she said, well, no one's left me. So, okay, see you later, mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, she's she's doing drawing, right? While she's... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And people she's, sort of hang out with her while she's doing it, right? Just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, and it's hard to understand, but th- that is a new medium that is in the same way like magazines or or novels, right? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I don't know what to make of it, but it's it's very interesting. And, and that is not what we imagined uh, 20 years ago, what 2019 would be like or 30 years ago, 2018, 2019, right? Not at all what we imagined. It, it would be different. <laughs> we knew that, but it was not this. <laughs> but it was not this. That's a good title for a novel. It was not this. It was not this. Well, you, you can feel free to steal that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I sort of went off topic there, but that uh, talk about the mustache brought it, brought it to me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, and the, and the other thing was the the only time the war like you were talking about the war in the book where they, it's barely there, but it was there in the audio drama and the and the TV show. I think show. they played it up though. Front right? and center. Yes. Yeah, they played it. They brought it up where where it wasn't. And and the, what's so funny is is she, I think she's writing it to escape the war and to think uh-huh. of, uh, and, for and, herself in the way yeah. that most people would want to escape the war, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've never seen the mousetrap, but um, apparently, excellent. Apparently, excellent. it's wonderful, right? It is wonderful. People still keep going. Can you imagine being one of those actors? <laughs> you know the story backward and forward. You go show up, and then you age into different roles over the course of what seventy years running. <laughs> <laughs> you can start off as a child character. They need they need more child roles then. <laughs> yeah. And then you end up as the old uh, lady who's getting murdered or whatever happens in that particular one. <laughs> um, and, and I know how good her stuff is at being turned into movies as well. I, it really does work. I, I've seen. And doesn't she just have a great sort of sense of humor with well, it's the uh, Murder on the Orient Express, right? With the big reveal. Everybody did it. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you doing, lady? <laughs> she's having fun with it. That's what she's doing. Yeah. Love her. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.